0: This is a No Land in Sight podcast production. Welcome to Is That Movie Still Good, the podcast where we take a movie from the past, give it a thorough rewatching, and ask the question, Is That Movie Still Good? Today, we're going to metaphorically go up into Mom's Attic, grab that shoebox with all the baseball cards, thumb through them, and see if all of our Don Mattingly rookie cards are still there, and if they've actually increased in value. Today, our movie is going to be 1985 the Roosters Million. We're gonna see some Yankees in that movie, and we're also gonna see if it's still good. So let's sit back and have some fun as we look at 1985's Brewster's Millions.
1: So Jim, what did you think of this movie when you saw it first time? Well, Nate, um, I,
0: let me tell you about this movie. I bet I have seen this movie thirty times if I've seen it once. Um, when we were kids, did you see
1: it thirty times in a week, and then you get to see it three hundred times for the rest of your life? <laughs> no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no. Uh, so when we were kids, um, we would rent movies. I had an uncle who had two VCRs, and then he would dub them for us. So we ended up having all these stacks of VHS tapes, and we would rewatch these movies over and over again. Brewster's Millions was one that I watched over and over and over again. And coincidentally, when we watched this the other night, <laughs> the FBI pirating warning that comes up on the screen every yeah, time. No
1: one scared the death out of me when I was a kid. I was, I was like, I'm 11 years old, the FBI is going to come after me. I was, I, if, and I, and I, dubbed, I dubbed VHS stuff all the time.
0: Yes, I had a friend who lived in my neighborhood and his father was a state trooper. And I was constantly worried that he was going to come over to the house and raid us for all of our uh, <laughs> pirated videotapes. So, so would
1: you get like the tape and then you like right write on the side, you had the three lines and you see so you could fit three movies on the standard yes, six-hour yes, VHS that's tape. Right.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. So you it's, might have Brewster's Millions going into Raiders of the Lost Ark going into uh, the Muppet uh, movie or
1: something. You know, my uh, my mother-in-law, she actually, she could never remember how what the name of the movie was called. So you would go over to her house and it would be like Cher is a lawyer. movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the great Ford, filing system Harrison Ford as president
0: yes <laughs> yeah right so
1: right. so so anyway so this was one of those movies that really takes us again back to the 80s yep. and really a little earlier in our childhood than the typical movie that we're talking about but it's fun to reminisce
0: absolutely absolutely and th- when i watched it this time i didn't enjoy the movie for what it was, I enjoyed the movie for the memories that it brought back to me.
1: Well, here's the funny thing. The first part of this movie, I mean, I, I mean, I think everybody has probably seen this movie. And if you haven't seen this movie, here's the most fascinating thing about this movie. So, did you know that this movie was written back in 1902? Yes. Yes. All right. All right. I think
0: this is the seventh incarnation of this in film. Is that right? Thirteenth. Thirteenth, okay. 13th. Oh four, yeah, because I'm not counting the Indian
1: ones. There's <laughs> four of those. <laughs> four of those. Yeah, all those have been after the, the Richard Pryor one. Right. There's been four Indian versions of this movie since 1985.
0: Hooray for Bollywood.
1: Yeah. In, 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 in 16, 2016, two years ago, they did a Brazilian version. Oh my gosh. In, in 2018, last year, they did a Chinese version. So so there's something about this story of a guy, kind of a down, you know, down and out type of guy, and he gets an inheritance from a relative that he doesn't know, and he has to spend this big amount of money for him in a short amount of time and not tell anybody about it, but if he does it, he's going to be loaded. Right. Loaded. It started out even as a Broadway play, and you know the first movie, you know one of the directors on the first movie? Who was that? Cecil Cesil to be the mill. Okay, yeah, Cecil all right. DeMille. And in that one, compared to this one, so this one, Richard Pryor has to spend thirty million right. in thirty right. days, and then he'll get three hundred million. In the first one, the guy had to spend the protagonist had to spend one million mm-hmm. in thirty days to get seven million. Okay, yeah, right. Could you spend one million in
0: thirty days right now? I, I could spend one million dollars in my sleep, and that's
1: a you know. <laughs>
0: um, Quickly, before we get into that, the the first movie, I think, um, also starred Fatty Arbuckle. Are you familiar with Fatty Arbuckle? Fatty, Fatty, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. and uh, if you don't know the Fatty Arbuckle story, he was not a good dude, Uh, but anyway. um, Yeah, I could spend a million dollars, and I think that's one of my problems with this movie as we kind of get into it and think about it, is the idea of spending $30 million in 30 days doesn't seem that crazy to me. It seems like we could do it.
1: Well, so if you were to remake this movie today in America America's standards, what would the dollar amounts be?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I you'd have to at least double it. Yeah. But yeah. I, I don't know. And, and one of the things when I went back and did research on this, I've looked at the uh, Siskel and Ebert review of this. And uh, Gene Siskel talks about why this one fell a little flat for him. Um, and talking about the the idea of the spending of money. And he at that point even said, I think that maybe where we are financially, we kind of— Understand how easy it would be to spend money and all that. Well, as a kid, I thought it would be really hard to spend that thirty million dollars. But as an adult, I think it'd be really easy because you see what everything costs. But and would you be able around? to do
1: it without collecting the assets? I think
0: so because think about all the services that we have today that cost money, right? I mean, you you
1: could probably call somebody up and do a thirty million dollar vacation. Absolutely. You know, rent an island for a week and a half. I could rent a private jet.
0: Fly it someplace, you know, like you said, rent an Island. Or if you wanted to break it down, I could rent a jet, fly to Africa, do some multi-million-dollar safari situation, and just shoot my gun in the air. I'm not even going to shoot a rhino. I'm just wasting time. Or I'm going to rent the top floor of the Plaza Hotel in New York City and do that. Or in 1985, actually, that's times, what Brewster did. Yeah, I know. <laughs> or I'm gonna, in 1985 times. I'm going to just take my. I'm going to fly a private jet. I'm going to fly to Budapest and I'm going to do buy the first three rows for the Michael Jackson concert. Or be like Charlie Sheen did. Remember when Charlie Sheen took rented out that whole section of the. Well, uh, he outfield, probably spent 20 of
1: his 30 million on Coke and Horse.
0: Right, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but, but but he uh, rented out a whole, bought a whole section of tickets in the outfield for an Angels game because he wanted to catch a home run ball. Yeah. Do
1: well, right? you, so, you know that Justin Bieber, I think, actually rented out the Staples Center for Selena Gomez? Oh, to yeah. take her to see Avatar.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Something yeah. like that. So, like, there's all kinds of things we can blow money on now, and I think we just didn't think about it that way 30 years ago.
1: But, but, money Brewster is still pretty clever. When we get into this movie and it starts, this is like I don't know the third or fourth movie in a row where we've had this opening script. I'm getting tired of it. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, really am yeah. getting tired of it because I always feel obligated that I have to read it to our listeners. Mm-hmm. So here I go. <laughs> This is the story of Montgomery Brewster, a relief pitcher in the minor leagues of life. So I uh, pause there because there's more to come on this one. Right. So is Bull Durham, Bull Durham the only other good minor league baseball movie?
0: Hmm. That's a good question. There's
1: tons of good baseball movies, right? Like minor league
0: baseball yeah. movies. Yeah. I think that's probably right. And in this one, their uniforms even look like the Bull Durham. The Durham. Well, they, they're no, they're hack and
1: sack hack and bulls, bulls, right? right. So, yeah. So anyway, so the, the it, it, we scroll on. He's a relief pitcher in the minor leagues of life who got handed the American dream on a A very very hot hot plate. plate. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's
0: yeah. All right. So then we get going. That's mixed metaphors. That doesn't even make sense. Does <laughs> it doesn't? It? Well, no.
1: The hot plate's a baseball term. I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's it's true. What, what's the hot plate? Is that third base?
0: The hot corner's third base. Hot
1: base. Yeah, and There's three bases. Yeah. Get, so maybe he's on the third the, base. I mean, maybe the home plate is hot. I don't. I don't. It's, it's a weird metaphor, isn't it? Yeah. We need to ask like Joe Nuxall or. You know, right right those old marty brenneman teams. if you want to come
0: on the pod we'll talk about it yeah
1: tell explain us to what the, the very hot plate means here and it's the it, like we said it's a hack and sack new jersey minor league baseball game starts off the scene starts off the movie and richard Pryor is the pitcher yeah in in, in how old do you think richard Pryor is when this movie is made um he is about
0: 44 45 46 somewhere in mid 40s right
1: yeah, forty four, forty five. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you're still, even if you're making a buck, yeah, pitching professionally, mm-hmm. that's not bad.
0: No, no, not
1: bad. But they they make him out to be this like you know, down and out guy. And, and you know, and he the, his his biggest salary ever was what eleven thousand dollars with the Toledo right. M- Mud Hens. Yeah. And then did he get a cup of coffee with the Cubs? I, I'm not sure if that really
0: happened. I know he he says that, but I don't think he ever made the majors. I think he says he did, but. I don't know. There's somebody later on who says the best thing he ever did was play for the Mud Hens. Anyway, regardless, he's a journeyman minor, minor leaguer who may or may not have um, gotten a call-up.
1: Well, the, the Cubs jersey comes in because after the game that, that they play, him and John Candy, who plays his best friend, the mm-hmm. catcher is Spike Nolan. Spike
0: Nolan, I love that. Oh, yeah, Spike Nolan? Yeah, yeah he's my cousin,
1: Spike. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, they're at a bar, and uh, the the team that they were playing against, uh, some of their girlfriends are there, and they're hitting on them, and they get into a fight, and there's this, like, big scene, but the, when the scene starts out... Richard Pryor, like, the girl's like, well, I have this Cubs jersey, and he's like, it's my number from the Cubs. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, maybe he got, like, a
0: tryout, spring maybe training. Maybe so, maybe yeah. so, yeah, uh, I, don't I don't know. know. It, I, of course there's a fight, because it was Hackensack versus Camden, and you know, that's bad blood. Well,
1: and here's the best part about it, so the, the two girls that we already knew from the game scene right. were the girlfriends of two of the guys on the other team that were, like, big buff, you know, like, guys, young guys. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, like Richard Pryor, who's forty five, mm-hmm. and John Candy, who's, who's John Candy, two hundred seventy five pounds. <laughs> yeah, they picked these girls up in like twenty seconds. Yeah,
0: no, no problem. <laughs> yeah, and you know we were watching that and uh, watching it with a couple of the kids, and I said, "Does this make you want to be a minor league baseball player?" And he said, "Yeah, it looks pretty cool, right?"
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and the the other good thing about this opening baseball scene is you know the coach. Yeah, Jerry, Jerry Orbach. Orbach. And, and if you don't know who Jerry Orbach is, you definitely wouldn't recognize his face because he was the guy that was on Law and Order, Law and order. for all Ever. those years with Chris Noth. He's been on lots of stuff. But, you know, and he's like 10th down the credit line. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's, it, there are recognizable faces, too, that pop in this movie. Other than John Candy and Richard Pryor and maybe to a degree Stephen Collins, though, I mean, that's about as good as you get on your third tier.
0: Yeah, it's... it's it, right. so Stephen
1: Collins is your third tier... Not a, not a lot of fire, firepower in the cast.
0: I don't know why Jerry Orbach's I guess for where he was in his career arc, he had to be lower. Right now, Jerry Orbach's a more recognizable person, I think, than Stephen Collins.
1: I will debate that later.
0: Okay, all right, fair.
1: Stephen Collins was in one of the best movies of all time. Okay, that that actually one of those movies that like just that one gig. He's okay. like he's, he's he's higher. Okay, he's all high, right. High, for me, for okay. me personally, all right, all right. For me personally, we'll discuss it. Well, and. and so they, they they get in the bar fight, and of course your cops show up. And By the way, when the bar
0: fight happened, and the baseball player whose girlfriend is being stolen, did you notice his pants? He's got on some sweet elastic waist pants when he walks in there. That's no, <laughs> ridiculous.
1: Yeah, it was, it, and it was like a great like eighties like fight scene because we've done two 80s movies so far. This yeah. movie and Cannonball Run, and right. both of them have a fight scene. Right. So did was that just the thing with eighties comedies? Is you got to fit like a fight scene? I, in I think somewhere? there had
0: to be some fighting. Yeah, you had to yeah. brawl it out.
1: So they end up in jail, and the next morning, Coach shows up and he's like, "Guys, we're we're done with you. We're not bailing you out. You know, you guys are done." And so, the, you know, they don't know what to do. They're both John Candy and Richard Pryor, really sad that their baseball careers are over. And, and one thing we didn't mention is there had been a guy in the stands during that baseball game the night before taking pictures. Mm-hmm. And at one point, John Candy has to run up to the plate, and Richard Pryor's like, "Oh, they're scouting." Yeah, yeah. You're not getting scouted at 45 years old. But anyway, Richard probably thinks he's getting scouted to play baseball. And at jail the next morning, the scout shows up. Right. To bail him out mm-hmm. and he still thinks richard Pryor still thinks that he's like getting ready to be like signed by the yankees or the Mets, or but he shows up at a lawyer office and this is when they reveal the big storyline.
0: right that's you right take it yeah the, the the photographer shows up picks him up and they he picks him up in a stretch limo or a rolls or something like that and he's like oh i'm going to the mets and they get to this office and so then we get to the kicker the the premise of the movie uh he watches this video he's got a great uncle who has passed away. He didn't even know this guy existed. And we see uh, a white man, white old man, and it's Hume Cronin, who is a great actor. has got a mile-long filmography. And he explains to him the conditions of his will, which is, I'm going to give you $30 million. If you can spend it in a month have nothing left to show for it, you get $300 million. And there are all these riders on there, like you can't give it all to charity, and you can only gamble so much, and you can't spend it all on bimbos and hookers, and, and all of this. And he also gives him an out. He says, I've got a wimp clause. So if you want to take a million dollars and walk away, that's fine. And so it's actually one of the best scenes in the movie. Hume Cronin in that scene is one of the best things in this movie. And my favorite part of it is... When he is talking to Monty Brewster th- through the medium of film, he says, "Why do you look so surprised, Brewster? You didn't know your great uncle was a honky." <laughs> yeah,
1: when, <laughs> when did, did honky? It...
0: When did we lose honky? I love the word honky. I want uh, it back.
1: You want honky back? I want honky back. Uh, well, well, uh, we'll, we'll, mean, we'll start a honky podcast. <laughs> I think that's, podcast I mean, or something. Well,
0: I mean, George Jefferson said it all the time, and yeah. so I thought it was just regular word.
1: Honky's awesome. <laughs> So so talking about honkies what do you think about the lawyers that that they, that Richard Pryor gets to meet? Like that that are running the these are like the worst like rich old lawyer honkies that you've ever met. You can tell from like the second they open their mouth, they are nothing but stereotypical greedy. Yes, they're gonna screw you over just to get their money. Old guy lawyers. Well, and
0: this was kind of a theme through some '80s movies, right? Because we kind of saw these dudes. In um, Trading Places, we saw the, right. the older guys with a ton of money. Right. The Muppets made well, a, the killing that, off well, of Statler well, and you know Waldorf. Why? And
1: because the same guy that wrote this movie wrote Trading Places, and it's actually a writing team. It's Timothy Harris and Herschel Weingrid. Yeah, they wrote Trading Places. They wrote Twins. My stepmother's an alien. Kindergarten Cop. Space Jam. But at this particular time, they they did kind of reuse this plot. Yeah, I well, and, and here's the here's the interesting thing about this movie too. So you had the writer from Trading Places and you had the director Director from from 48 Hours. hours. Yeah. Uh, You know, Walter Hill, who's directed a lot of movies and these are... You know, this one, Brewster's Millions, 40 40 Hours, hours. probably his two best. They
0: they are his two best. His filmography is, I would say, unremarkable. Um, But he does have two primetime Emmy Emmy Awards. He won one for Deadwood and one for a show called Broken Trail. So he's done a lot of stuff. Because he's he's
1: a big Western guy. Yes, he is. Yeah, even coming into this movie, he was a big Western guy.
0: And he wrote this, he did this movie, directed this movie, basically to make some money and improve his prestige. That was a, a, a quote from him, sort of. But yeah, and, and even with 48 Hours, when they were in pre-production work on 48 Hours, they wanted Richard Pryor to play the Eddie Murphy yeah. role in that film.
1: Yeah, and I, I think Eddie Murphy probably did it a little better. I,
0: no doubt, no question, and yeah. we'll get into that a little bit because yeah. I've got an opinion about this.
1: What do you think about, this was a, just a theory that popped in my head very early on watching this movie. Is there any correlation at all between Montgomery Brewster and Montgomery Burns from The Simpsons? I, I don't think so, but maybe do you have one? I, I don't. Just it's like, you know, the, the same name, yeah. the, same the same last initial, initial. rich guy that yeah. was a jerk the way he spent all his money. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, there's only one person that knows.
0: Right. That's Matt Braining.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So if he ever listens to this, we want to hear yeah, back from So, and find so out.
0: Matt, yeah, hit us up.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know where to find us. Yes. Uh, so what they, what they do, these lawyers, we know they're shady, so they assign a paralegal to, to track Brewster, mm-hmm. and, and there's also an executor of the estate. Right. Uh, he's a very neutral person. He doesn't care what happens, and he's a very important kind of, I am a peer. He, he is, and he
0: you can tell he's a good guy from the beginning. Right. Like, as much as you can tell that the two partners are bad guys, you know that the executor is a good guy. and he isn't really helping Montgomery Brewster but he's not trying to stand in his way he's trying to be totally transparent with him and he takes him to the bank and they they look in the vault where you've got three stacks of 10 million dollars mm-hmm. on pallets
1: well i was going to say this is what's great so Brewster once he like realizes how cuz of course when he hears this for the first time he's in total like i don't get you know i don't get it what's going on you know this doesn't make any sense but when he gets to the bank and goes in the vault and sees the cash it kind of hits him Right, what he has to do. Yeah, and so one of the first things that he that he does is he hires the PI to be his personal photographer. Yes, and then this is the funniest part. He turns to the main security guard at the at the vault and says, "I ah, hire you for my personal security." Of course, it's Richard Pryor. He's, all, ah! He's yeah. like, ah, so, 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 so. and so and, and here's where because really and it really might have even taken me a little bit twenty minutes or so even after this, but the first forty five minutes or so of this movie. It just wasn't funny at all. I just was kind of like, oh my goodness, this is horrible. And then at one point it hit me, just watch Richard Pryor. Yeah. He's hilarious. Yes. You know, it's like, don't worry about the plot. Don't worry about the jokes. Don't worry about, you know, even John Candy. Just watch how Richard Pryor acts. Uh-huh. And, and from that moment on, it started to grow on me.
0: I, I get that. I get that for sure. Um, and, and I think Pryor is, his, his physical actions are really funny um i think he's more toned down in this and i think that's kind of one of the struggles with it because um, i don't think it's his best movie by any stretch
1: of course not but, what, what 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 do you think is his best movie uh,
0: i don't know i you know what i love and i'm not sure it's his best but it's one of my favorites is harlem nights and it's later yeah. he and eddie murphy and red fox are great in that silver streak is really good yeah with, silver streak uh with gene wilder mm-hmm. um I, crazy, I tell you what, Stir Crazy with Gene Wilder. great. I'll
1: that's say. the thing. He had this really good partnership with Gene Wilder that worked really well for a couple movies. And they're both funny in their own right. I love Gene Wilder too. I do too. too. I do too. And um, Richard Pryor, outside of his Gene Wilder connection, had some other good movies. Yes. But I don't know how impactful he really was. I think that's
0: right. That Gene Wilder Richard Pryor combination was fairly groundbreaking because you had. A lead that was white and a lead that was black, and they were sharing the screen and playing off of each other in in meaningful ways. And I think it was a fairly groundbreaking um, pairing that we had at that point. Now, let me tell you what's not Richard Pryor's best movie. <laughs> what? Superman 3.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, and he has a lot that aren't worth watching, which is unfortunate. Because I, I think he... You know he did, he did, he didn't have the same platform as like the SNL people, the Saturday Night people, or even John Candy coming from you know Second City TV. You know Richard Pryor came up through their clubs. Yes. You know he came up doing stand up comedy and was like one of the best. So it's and and he also came up competing with people like George Carlin, yeah. um, Stephen Wright. You know some of those other earlier mm-hmm. stand up comics, those seventies and eighties people. And none of those other people could really transfer over to movies very well. No. I mean, what other comics? Billy Crystal, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how big of a stand-up guy he was.
0: Well, so, doing a lot of research for this, I got into his stand-up career. And he... And one, another guy who did well after stand-up was... And he initially patterned his routine kind of after... And then ultimately he decided to go in a different direction. And that's when he became more profane and he's throwing N-bombs all over the place. And he really found his stride with that. And he was a groundbreaking stand-up comic. Like everybody who's anybody in comedy looks at Richard Pryor as someone who influenced them. Like we talked about watching HBO when we were kids. How many times did you watch Eddie Murphy Raw? Oh, uh, tons of times. It wouldn't have happened without Richard Pryor. Sure, I agree. And I went back and listened to, in preparation for this pod, his comedy album from 1975 called That Blank is Crazy, and it's very much like Eddie Murphy Raw, just turned back a decade, only with more edgy digs at racism that is pervading the time.
1: The thing with Richard Pryor is I think at that moment in time, he found a niche where he could still get his point across. And, and that's, when you think about this movie, too, uh, Brewster's Millions, and, like, what he's doing, and, like, as far as, like, wanting to spend the money, not because he wants to spend the money, but because he has to. But then you also have to say, you know, he could have taken the million-dollar buyout. Of course. And if you've never made more than $11,000 in your life... It's awfully good. Awfully good. But he takes a risk, and he's a pretty smart guy about how he takes this risk. He hires the bank guards. Yep. And not only does he hire the one as they're walking out of the bank, it's like all of them are He hires back.
0: everybody. We're so who, so
1: who's guarding the bank right now?
0: <laughs> I mean yeah. uh, also but, do you do you remember how much interest he was going to get on that money at the bank? Oh the, the banker was like what like fifteen? Twenty four we're going to give you the special heavy hitter rate at twenty four percent. And
1: immediately he's like I don't want no interest. I don't, is, I don't want no interest I want interest I'll pay you rent it's like immediately he's extremely clever. Yes. And knows, it's like he goes, the, the light switch just goes off and he's like, I gotta spend the money, I gotta spend the money. And, yeah, you know, I'm sure that goes back to some of the core story that was written too, but Pryor pulls it off really, really well. And then, then he's just like hiring everybody left and right and they go out of the bank and a cab pulls up and it's Yakov Smirnoff. Yes. yes. I mean, I had not thought about or seen that guy and... 20 years. Do you know anything about Yakov Smirnov? Well, I know he was like, you know, USSR comedian. Mm-hmm. And he came over and you'd see him on the Johnny Carson show and he probably hosted Saturday Night Live. And he probably got like a little tour out of Vegas show or something. I don't know. He is
0: huge in Branson, Missouri. He's got a theater there. Really? He's working on a development like there. Like right
1: now. Right like now. right if now. He went to Branson. If
0: it's I took a, my parents
1: two- to Branson... You can we see, see that He's
0: doing tours, but he's also he also plays there on the regular. He's got a set schedule there. I just looked it up in 2019 and 2020. He also has a master's degree from University of Pennsylvania, um, and he's working on a doctorate in like uh, some sort of human relations, interglobal relations, that kind of thing. I don't recall exactly what the degree is, but it's if you look at his website, he talks about wanting to use comedy to infuse positivity and encourage people, and he. I kind of always wrote him off, and I was like, this guy. But when I dug into... Oh, I didn't even were... write
1: him off. I just kind of forgot about him.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's he's an interesting dude, and
1: he's still very successful. Well, and, and, and so now the news is starting to cover Brewster. It's like, within like five hours, he's already making a splash in New York City. because right. because, because nothing else exciting ever happens there. Nobody's got any <laughs> money there. It's just... <laughs> yeah. It's like, within like... Four hours, it's like boom. And so, Chuck Fleming, Action News. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Chuck Fleming, Action News shows up. He rents the top two floors of the Plaza Hotel, which you said you would do the same. And then, so we get another quote that scrolls across the screen. Right. Because uh, this happens several times during this movie. Yes. Like I was saying, I can't speak for Monty, but speaking for myself, Monty pitches and I catch. The money won't change us. Spike Nolan. Spike Nolan. <laughs> I, I, I had something here in my notes, and then I wrote after it, don't spoil, because I'm going to be really sad at the end of this podcast because of the way this movie ends. Yeah. But I, I, I want to save it for that.
0: Okay. All right. I want to save it for that. All right. So
1: Spike shows up at, 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 at Monty's High Rise, you right. know, the high rise at the plaza, and now he's all dressed up really nice. And the best thing is he's got this necklace on. It's yes. a gold catcher's mask. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he's just... And John Candy's great. John Candy. Because, I mean, all the energy that Richard Pryor has, John Candy has it too, but he's like three white guys in one. Yes. <laughs> and he's like, oh, hey, I got this catcher's mask. It was made for Johnny Bench, <laughs> And he was all excited. He's and he over it. the top in this, and yeah. I love him so much. He's hilarious. Oh, he's great. And and so Drake, who's the paralegal... Yes. Who, you know, we didn't mention when I introduced her earlier. She's a female. Right. Yeah, you know, it's it's actually a woman named uh, Lynette McKee. Yes, Lynette. Do you know Lynette?
0: No, she's been she had been in some things earlier. I, yeah, I don't. Yeah,
1: she, she did Cotton Club, Cotton Jungle Club, Fever, yeah, Malcolm yeah. X. I mean, she's no unknown writer when it comes to eighties and nineties female right, stars,
0: right? Of course.
1: Okay, yeah, but I mean, so she had a good little career, but you could tell immediately that's going to be the love interest. Of course, <laughs> and
0: you know how Nate and I love a good love story. That's. Wedged into uh, a movie where it's no need.
1: Uh, can we finish this recording tomorrow? I'm already <laughs> bored. <Yeah. laughs> but anyway, she's here, so we're gonna deal with her.
0: Well, and she has all of this disdain for Monty as he's spending money. At first, she's like, kind of writes it off, like he's nouveau riche and he's blowing money. And then as he continues to blow money, she's mad at him. She like is disgusted by everything that he is. But he can't tell her because it'll void the, the rules of the will.
1: And yeah, so I mean and that's and and that's kind of where you see Brewster kind of like crushing on her a little bit because he's like, I want you to know the real me. I'm a 45 year old minor league <laughs> baseball player that makes no money, and I go out and get drunk with my 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 catcher and try to pick up girlfriends of other guys, right? You know, it's like yeah, I mean he's not you know exactly the best guy in the world, but he's like all of a sudden he's like the most like you know moral person in the world. You know, he's like hey, I have all this like. You know, I'm a really good guy. You know, I'm not going to waste money. That type of stuff, but you know, it's 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 typical, you know, riding from that here. Yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. So Brewster's trying to spend all his money, so he, he, he you know, gets a bookie in, he makes all these big long-shot bets, and, and I, I thought this was pretty funny. He had all these people in his office that are trying to like, sell him investments, and this one guy, this, you don't even recognize him, he's got like an iceberg, iceberg. he's yeah. like, invest in the iceberg, and so Brewster's like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and of course, John Candy and Drake, you know, they're Spike and Drake, and, and everybody is like, oh, don't, don't, you're wasting your money, you're wasting your money. Right, because it's an iceberg that they're going to tow from, from the Arctic to the Sahara
0: for to help with all the Saharan farmers there
1: yeah and and there it, it's just so funny how like it, and, and Rick Moranis shows up uh-huh. I actually laughed out loud like when the scene happened where there's so all these people around Money Brewster you know because they just all want the handout uh-huh. and then all of a sudden a really young Rick, Rick, Rick Moranis shows up and he's mimicking everything yes, yes. Brewster says. <laughs> yes. So if Brewster's talking to an investor and he's like, "I want two hundred thousand uh, dollars," you know, in the biggest casino, I want
0: two hundred thousand dollars in, uh, you know, the biggest casino. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I want
1: to get the Yankees to play the Hackensack Bulls. I want to get the Yankees to play the Hackensack Bulls. It just goes on and on. It's <laughs> yeah. just ridiculous. Yeah. and it's just hilarious. And then and then Brewster actually flies his baseball team from Hackensack, New Jersey. I think he flies him, what, to Long Island or he helicopters him him him
0: over to Long Island? The helicopter's over to Manhattan and then they they helicopter, take a bus or something over to Long Island to the
1: practice facility. And and, and you go back to Brewster in his hotel and he's got a dirt pitching mound and he's pitching to John Candy and stretching. And all he ever wants to talk about is baseball. So is this a baseball
0: movie? It's more of it than I remembered it being. But it's—I don't think I would not count it as a baseball movie. But there, there's a there's a lot of baseball central to the plot.
1: So is there more baseball in this movie? Baseball being played because we've already talked about the opening scene, right? And right now in this movie, where we're talking about when they fly him out, mm-hmm. you have the worst baseball practice montage. Yes. That lasts about two minutes. Yeah, yep. It's horrible. It, it's like two minutes of infield drills with like a really bad, like. They're doing jumping jacks. Yeah. It's really it's horrible. Bad. But is there. Do you see. And there's more baseball scenes later. Do you see more baseball being played in this movie than you see in Field of Dreams?
0: Hmm. Good point. Probably. I mean, in fact, definitely. No doubt.
1: Well, then the, wouldn't it be a baseball movie? If there's more baseball being played in it than the. Move, the best baseball movie of all time i don't know i don't know to worthy think to think about worthy to think, to think about, about it.
0: quickly about baseball let's go back let's take a minute here and talk about one of the most interesting things about this baseball situation the field where the hackensack bulls plays we haven't talked about this but there are train tracks running through the outfield and so periodically they have to stop the game to let a train roll through the outfield
1: Oh, I think it's hilarious. It's, it's I, hilarious. I, I, I think it's a gag. I, it's such a great gag. Um, well, and, and I would imagine in Hackensack, New Jersey... Yeah. I mean, it's... I mean, how many people live there? 200,000? 300,000? I, I don't
0: know. That, yeah, I don't know.
1: You would think they have some actual baseball fields there.
0: You would think so. Well, it's this... A,
1: yeah. Well, so I looked that up because I've always
0: wondered if that was real. Because when, when I was a kid and we would play baseball in, in my front yard, and we would play with a tennis ball so we didn't break windows... Well, so we played, we played in the front yard, but we we had a street in the front yard, so it was kind of the same deal. Like, we'd have to stop so a car could go by, right? All right. And, but, but anyway, this field is actually a field in the San Fernando Valley. Um, it was called Bluebird Field. It was built in 1983 as part of a project for an NBC show called Bay City Blues that was very quickly canceled. Um, the, the field was then purchased by Mission College and Village Christian High School, where they played. Uh, it was ultimately torn down in 1989. And they adapted this field for the train tracks because it's in a very industrial area there in the San Fernando Valley. And so they would have a train go through. But a train track running through a baseball field is not unprecedented. Apparently, in some Texas minor league parks way back in the day, this happened multiple times. There were multiple... I would
1: have figured oil wells.
0: Yeah, well... (laughs) Probably two. Probably two, right. So anyway, it was i always thought it was a gag and it wasn't a real thing but apparently there were real baseball fields where you did have to deal with trains coming through and disrupting the game so.
1: yeah that's it, kind of funny i mean and, and it's a good ad i mean it, it really they and they use it well that's one of the like kind of things that they use well throughout the movie mm-hmm. um and it, and it just kind of makes it once again it's like you know brewster's kind of at this kind of low level to, of life to where he's Playing minor league baseball with a team that has railroad tracks. Well, going to
0: prior to where we are now, where minor league stadiums kind of rival major league stadiums for their then, amenities. They, they were dumps, and it was a perfect example of a minor league baseball stadium, right? Oh, Yeah. And next is where Warren Cox, and we ta- have we talked about Warren Cox yet? We have not. That is the Stephen Collins character,
1: right? And he's he's the fiance of Drake, the paralegal, right? Now, Stephen Collins, I mentioned earlier. Have you ever heard, do you remember back in the eighties, back when TV miniseries were huge? Yes. A miniseries called Chiefs.
0: No, I don't know that one.
1: This is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Three night miniseries. It's got Billy D. Williams in it. Sold. Yeah. That's all and, and other people that you would recognize. So I, I originally saw that when it came on TV in the early eighties, and then in the late nineties, I actually found it on VHS. And I talked a buddy into watching it with me, which I believe was the first time I ever, is this movie still good? Oh, all right, all right. And it was awesome. All right. And I haven't seen it since, and that VHS tape has disappeared, which wouldn't matter, because I don't have a VHS player anyway. But I, 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 on my list of things to do next week is, can I find this movie somewhere? And I'll do a personal podcast right. about it. All
0: right, very good. But Stephen Collins
1: is one of the main stars in one of the... Episodes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Awesome. He
0: was. He was big in Seventh uh, Heaven. That was right. his That's big TV show. That's probably where you know him from. That's what? where most, he, people most people would know him would from. Know him from. Yeah. And in this movie, he's this super uptight, ultra-white, conservative guy. And when he when I watched this this time around, I was reminded of an SNL sketch with Eddie Murphy. Do you remember the one where he posed as a white guy? And oh, went, of course, of course, yeah. And, and that is just like Stephen Collins yeah. like, in this movie. He's with Warren his Cox. briefcase and yes. his suit and his
1: and their big red glasses.
0: I'm, why I'm buying this newspaper, right? I mean, it's <laughs> yeah.
1: so it's such the same yeah. character. Well, now, Steve- and, and, and here's the funny thing with, within this movie... Is, you know, Drake talks about him a lot yeah. to Brewster very early on and, and and talks about how he's a philanthropist. He's like on all these charities. And then Brewster finally meets him and he doesn't drink. But like within 10 minutes, he's already it's, taken a drink from Brewster. End, yeah. And he's supposed to be this really awesome, like super junior lawyer at a great law firm. And he immediately Brewster mentions something about redecorating right. his office. And he's like, Oh, I want to do that. So he's he's also a
0: closet interior decorator. Well, his ex wife was an interior designer. And so he's like, Oh, my ex wife can do this and so I hire her, but he just is her lap dog helping yeah. redecorate well, everything.
1: And, and, and he's so into like designing and decorating Brewster's place, he actually goes back to the law partners. You know the ones. Right. You know the bad ones we know from the the beginning. We'll just the movie. call them the honkies. The honkies. The honky lawyers. And he's like, I need to take like a month off to help him. And at first, the lawyers are like, What? 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 And then one of them does the like old guy whisper, and they're like, Oh, you know they're up to something, and they're conniving. Yeah. And and then they're like, No, you go, you go. And but but we need to know what he's doing. So they're already setting him up to be like kind of spying on Brewster. And as the movie progresses you know he Cox Warren Cox comes back in and is talking to the old guy lawyers and they actually tell him the truth because at this point only four people know right. the real truth the two hockey lawyers the 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 uh, the, the executor ex, uh, and of the Warren state, Cox and the, and well, right they're the only ones that know that if you spend 30 and 30 days you get 300 million but the hockey lawyers Get Warren Cox and say, Hey, if you can set something up where it fails at the last minute, guess what? Now it's honky, honky and cox. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what those guys' names were. They actually they don't say honky and honky. No, they no, say, but it was Jones. You guys yeah, yeah. get it. They're gonna make him a partner. <laughs> yeah. You know? But so he he immediately like connives and like there's like some twenty thousand dollar furniture deposit that he kind of keeps away. And you know, and, and we'll get back to this later. But I mean Stephen Collins. Yeah, I mean, what else you got on him?
0: Well, Stephen Collins had uh, a little problem. Um, He had some inappropriate sexual misconduct with some underage ladies. Uh, What was this? Well, he had three incidences. Wow. Uh, 1973, 1982, and
1: 1994.
0: Oh, he's he's serial. He admitted uh, in 2014 in an interview with People magazine, he admitted that he committed inappropriate sexual conduct with three female minors in those particular years. A Washington Post profile um, reported that he apologized directly to one of the girls, and he has stated that his inappropriate conduct was motivated by arrogance and youth, not pedophilia. Now, hang on a minute, because that's a 22-year window, and in 1994, he would have been mid-40s. I'm 46 years old. We would have been about the same age. I will totally take arrogance for any error that I make. But I will not take Youth at this How's point. How's this guy not in jail? Youth has left the station for this guy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how, to, how it is. I mean, the only thing I can tell you is that it was a different time. And uh, it, it wouldn't have flown today.
1: Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. Maybe that's why it was easy for him to play this sleazy character.
0: Maybe. Maybe Because so. he's just a sleazy guy. Pro- yeah, I think that's right.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I, I guess there's always room for uh, sleazy guys in Hollywood. I don't know. But, but, <laughs>
0: Understatement of the pod, right there.
1: <laughs> but so, so here is what happens next. We talked earlier about the gambling investment, and the iceberg investment, and so John. Oh, Kim, quickly, on, before you get to that, yeah.
0: The gambling guy. The, the, so, so when the bookie comes in, Brewster tells him to lay, f- I don't know how much he went, 50 bucks on every long shot at Aqueduct, and, and bets on a Loyola field hockey game because that's where Drake went to college. Yeah.
1: Well, the, the Loyola versus Notre Dame.
0: Yeah, that's right, yeah. and and they beat him like eighteen to nothing or something right. in field hockey. But the suit that the bookie is wearing is the same suit that Eddie Murphy wore in 48 hours.
1: Like the same exact suit? I think it is. The uh, it's style. the same it's at like least same from wardrobe?
0: Uh, it might be. I'm not 100% sure if it's the same. Oh, I'm sure it happened
1: a bunch back yeah, there. yeah. Yeah, 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 so anyway, yeah. it's another
0: tie into that movie um, that Walter Hill did.
1: Yeah. And and so they come back and, and, and John Candy comes back in and is like, money, we've won all the money, we won all the money back, and then like, you know, and, and the gambler, the bookie comes The gambler in, comes in
0: with a, with a satchel full of money, in, yeah. dumps it, and then Candy comes back, and because they had made this investment, he comes back, and the stock split, and it went up a bunch, and they had made $10 million, and Candy just starts chanting, 10 million, 10 million, 10 million dollars. Yeah. And Brewster
1: loses his mind a little yeah, bit. because he's pretty much back to ground zero now. Right, right. It's like he made back all the money that he tried to spend. So, so John Candy, I mean, he's great in this movie. Yes. He's great in lots of movies. But just like for a second, let's just talk about kind of the bigger picture.
0: Yeah, so he's more of second player in almost everything. In 1985, when this movie was made, he was in five different movies that year that were released. He was in this one. He was in um, Summer Rental. He was in a movie called Volunteers. I he was volunteers. In a movie called Follow That Bird.
1: Don't remember that um,
0: one. And he was in three TV. I guess it was four movies plus three TV movies. Yeah. So very very busy. Um, he's been in some very memorable movies, but not always not the lead, right? Yeah. Well, uh, what's your, I mean, what
1: what what are your favorite movies that he's been in?
0: Uncle Buck. All right.
1: Uncle it's not Uncle on, Buck's on my a good list, one. but it's a good one. Um, I only put three on my
0: list. I, I first came to really like him in Splash.
1: Yeah. With Tom yeah. I think not he's on my list, that but that's one. a good one.
0: Um. Plain strings and automobiles. That's on is great. my list. Spaceballs. That's on my list. And he's also in Home Alone as the uh, the polka uh. king in the in the van. I love that one. too. He's also
1: in Stripes, which is on my. Oh, list. that's a good one. Yeah, that's yeah, right. He's that's also right. On my list. Now, now, wait, wait. Th- oh, hang oh, on
0: quickly. Don't be confused. He's not in Strange Brew. I have confused that when I was a child. He is not. No, in Strange Brew. No, uh, yes, right,
1: yeah, right. that was the other SCTV Right. Yeah, that was the the other ones that were in there, which is a great movie.
0: He's a great movie. Great movie. John Candy not in that.
1: Here's another thing about John Candy. Do you know that he actually had a animated TV series about him? Yeah. What was it it called? I don't remember. He was the star of it. It was called Camp Candy. Okay. And it ran from 89 to 92. And now I don't know if it was a Saturday morning cartoon, but I mean, 89 to 92. It had to be, didn't it? There's not a lot of mediums out there. Not a lot of platforms. Cartoon Network didn't exist. before Before the internet, obviously. Before it had to have been. So he was in Camp Candy for three years. All right. But... He's not the most famous comedian to be in a cartoon. Okay. Which would be. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fat Albert, fat Albert, fat
0: Albert, Albert. yeah, yeah.
1: And 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 so when I realized that, I was like, are there other comedians that made cartoon Uh shows? Right. Couldn't find any. (laughs) You know who
0: did have a great cartoon? It was Mr. T.
1: Oh, wait, Mr. T did. Yes. Yes. Mr. T did. He's
0: not a comedian, but he did have a. He He was fighting have a
1: cartoon. He did have a good cartoon. And, and And this brings me to like a you know always the most important question. you know I mean John Candy's a big man.
0: He is a big man.
1: He good movie career, yes, had a cartoon for three years. Could he take Max Katie? Nope,
0: never. <laughs> <'Cause> nobody <laughs> we, I,
1: we can't like we,
0: we we have to discuss this, but nobody in this movie's fighting
1: so here's here's this is the best I could do. Max Katie versus the whole cast, the production crew. And everybody that saw it on the premiere night.
0: How much cocaine is Richard Pryor added? It doesn't matter. It doesn't <laughs> matter. It doesn't <laughs> matter. It
1: doesn't <laughs> matter. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I guess a coked up Richard Pryor would at least survive a while. That's yeah. That he's... might be a bad fight. He's not going to make the final four, but a coked up Richard Pryor might make the sweet sixteen. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll see. What, we'll see what happens as 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 this game develops. And and Monty's so pissed now because. He he's like back to square zero. It's like he has he's been working at it for like a week or two and he he's only got a month and he's backed down on 30 million dollars cuz he's making all these money off the investments but then he sees our fabled newscaster. What's his name again?
0: Chuck, Chuck Fleming. Fleming Action News.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, doing a thing on TV. About the mayoral race in New York City. And talking about how these two... And both of them are sleazebag politicians. Keller
0: and Salvino are their names. Right. And
1: uh, and, and about how they're just spending money trying to buy votes left and right and advertising. And Brewster, once again... And you know, I think I just skipped over one thing that I want to go back to. Okay, go ahead. Because I I mentioned earlier how clever Brewster is. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk a second about the stamp. Yeah, the stamp is...
0: Brilliant. Brilliant.
1: And honestly...
0: If he'd wanted to just blow all the money, he could have bought all the stamps in there and just mailed every one of them, and right, and and just taken a knee for the next uh, twenty nine days. But
1: is the stamp destruction of because you know one of the clauses was he couldn't buy art and burn
0: burn it, it right. So I don't think so. And uh, so if you guys don't know, my um, my girlfriend is an attorney, and I asked her this. We were watching the movie, and well, so I, we got legal advice. We for got this legal podcast. advice on this, we and got, so
1: we have to give her credit stuff. Yeah.
0: So I I contend that it's not destruction. We were talking about that, and like he just took something and used it for its intended purpose. He didn't burn it. He just used it for what it was, you know, made to do. And uh, she agreed with me, and I think we agreed that it was not a destruction of a of of an asset.
1: Okay. Well, all right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, we we so we answered that question. We consulted. yeah, Yeah, we're good then. All right, we're we're good. Of course, Brewster just like starts defaming these other two Mayoral candidates. Well,
0: first of all, he enters. The, yeah, first of all, he enters the race before he yeah. defames them. So he enters the race, right. and in, one of the funniest screw-ups in this movie, one of the funniest gaffes, is he's talking to Spike or somebody, and he says, "I've already got ads. They're running in all fifty-two states." Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Wait, did, <laughs> did, did we annex Tijuana or
1: something? What's going on? Puerto Rico. Yeah, right. and Well, Puerto Rico's 51. Yeah, I don't know if American is.
0: Samoa, Guam, what are we know.
1: doing? I don't know what 52 is. So anyway, yeah. But yeah but and, starts- and this whole platform is great because this whole platform as this mayoral election is vote for none of the above. Mm-hmm. And he also, whenever he has a rally, he's like, I'm here to buy your vote. Yeah,
0: and who's, I just, who's I, buying I, the booze? You are. Who's buying your vote? You are. Yeah, yeah
1: and I just loved it because it's just like loved how like it was just politically insensitive because and then just ripped apart politicians because I mean they're all idiots. Well, and so he
0: keeps so he goes at him and he calls them a couple of wharf rats. And so then Heller and Salvino meet in a clandestine... Well, but
1: before this happens, we get one of the most iconic movie scenes of all time. Okay. Because right after he decides that he's running for mayor... Yeah. And he puts his platform out there, we get... The newspaper reel printing montage. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How many movies has this been? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you get like two minutes of the big old newspaper reel spinning around with some music, and it's like, why, why is that? Why is that such a popular montage?
0: Well, I think it fills a little bit of time, and um, I, I guess it's just showing newsworthiness. But I don't. We don't get it anymore because newspapers are dead.
1: Right. So, and, and that might be a shame. It, it, it is a be, shame. Yeah, it, it might be a, a, a part of uh, new movies. You know, you're not going to see that in like you know Transformers.
0: No, not at yeah. all. But you're, you're not gonna, you're gonna not going to get the Sunday paper with Transformers are attacking Earth. That's not going to happen. <laughs> not going to happen. Um,
1: yeah. yeah. And 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 the good thing is is once they sue him for slander, it's like of course what does Brewster do? Because he's a clever guy. Right. So anyway, before we get there, so
0: they. Uh, Heller and Salvino meet in this clandestine parking garage and talk about it, and they decide they're going to sue Brewster for defamation of character or whatever because he called them Wharf Rats. Now, let's think about this for a minute. Wharf Rats is a lawsuit waiting to happen. In our current political climate, think about all the things that are said about somebody one way or another. Like that's That was stunning to me. So, anyway, frat? rat, warf rat.
1: Apparently, you've never been caught a warf rat. I, 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 <laughs> I mean, have not... it, it, it hurts a lot deeper than you think.
0: I guess those are fighting words in <laughs> hack and sack and. and well, yeah, on. if
1: you're up in northeast, yeah, 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 no, so, yeah it's so, bad. So anyway, Brewster sells out of court for you know cash. Of course, he, of course, he does. And he. So here's the other thing I think is funny about this movie is so this whole movie is about spending thirty million dollars in thirty days. Do you know how much this movie costs to be made? I do not. Twenty million dollars. Twenty million dollars. So they actually spent less money. Now I'm sure that took more than thirty days, but they spent less money making this movie than what Richard Pryor had to spend. And how much do you think it made? Thirty million dollar, or excuse me, twenty million dollar budget. What do you think it pulled?
0: Eighty. I don't know. Well, that
1: would that would make a lot of people happy. Yeah. What not it very, close, not really? very close. Really? No, it d- didn't. Forty five point eight. Okay. Forty six. Right. Forty six. And you know, it's you know, hundred minutes long. Yeah. You know, so it's just basic comedy from back then. But uh, our next scene after Brewster enters the Mayoral race, our next big scene. Lots of little things are happening that we're not talking about. Is the Yankees game?
0: Yeah, yeah, they they get to play the Yankees.
1: So I was I was really hoping to see some like Yankee cameos.
0: Here. I was too. It was very disappointing not to see somebody from the Yankees. It didn't have to be Don Mattingly,
1: right? I mean, even like a Ricky Henderson, or even like some like a guy from like the late. You know, 70s or 80s. Right. Uh, Doc Rivers. I mean, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Even though Doc Rivers played basketball, whatever. <laughs> Doc Rivers. Who's the Rivers? Mid- no, or, no, who's no. the Rivers? Well, Doc Gooden played. Oh, isn't there, well, wasn't there a Mickey Rivers or something? Mickey
0: Rivers, I, I mean, think. something or... like that,
1: yeah. Uh, oh. Anyway, it would have been nice to see somebody here. Bucky Dent. Bucky Dent. Um, yeah. So anyway. Craig, Craig Nettles. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, Reggie played for him. Yeah, Reggie or, Jackson in the, in the yeah. 80s a little bit. But uh, anyway. But I started thinking, I was like, do you think they, they tried to get this game played in Yankee Stadium for the movie? The, they, and they just couldn't afford it. Because uh, you know where we end up back for this game. Back at the uh, uh, the, railroad, the, the Hackensack yeah, Bulls uh, Stadium, right. Yeah.
0: I, I doubt that they did because, like you said, the budget at $20 million and they, shot, they didn't shoot it on location, I don't think at all. I think they shot it all in SoCal.
1: Right, yeah. And you said that earlier that, yeah. Well, and the first thing that I thought about when the Yankees show up to the Hackensack Bulls, Baseball, stadium. Number one, it's a mayoral race. Right. So I'm thinking that's around November. hmm Good point. Um, Good point. After the Right after the baseball season ended, mm-hmm. a little cold in New Jersey. Yep. But the sun was out. Yep. Beautiful Maybe, day. Beautiful day. Maybe I'm being a little too picky here. The sun always shines in the valley, man. It, I know. <laughs> but it doesn't in Hackensack. Correct. The <laughs> sun's usually not shining in Hackensack. So that was number one. Number two was if you're Yankees management. Are you going to let – I don't care how much you're getting paid. Are you going to let your players go out and play on a field that's going to Absolutely gonna not. Absolutely drive? not. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some flaws here. But at this at this movie by, – by, by the time in, in this movie, you suspended belief anyway. Right. Right. So, the Hackensack Bulls get off to, like,
0: a pretty good start. Yeah, they're good. Ma- so, go ahead. Money says, I can get any team out for three innings. In the first two innings, he does pretty well. Guys are hitting balls, but they're hitting loud strikes, foul balls that yeah. go out of the stadium. You know, Deep same flies, way Yeah, right. Yeah,
1: things like that. A
0: couple of great catches at the
1: wall. Yeah, and, and but we get to the bottom of the third, mm-hmm. and, and actually, the Hackensacks win and win to nothing. Right. But Monty starts his arm get, gets tired on him. Mm-hmm. It starts into a rubber band. And uh, bam, grand slam, and Jerry Orbach has to come out and yank him out of the game. Yeah. So, all right. So, you're Jerry Orbach, the coach. You're playing the Yankees in an exhibition in your park. The guy that's pitching is the guy that paid the money for your new uniforms, Mm -hmm. your new stuff, and he gives up this grand slam. Are you really yanking him from the game? Or do you just let him pitch it out because he made it all happen?
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I think you probably let him pitch it out, except that I think the manager has this soft spot for Monty. He really likes him. And probably doesn't want to see him get embarrassed anymore. And oh, that's probably a good is point. concerned about him. Like, I, yeah, you do see respect between those two characters in this movie.
1: That's true, and that's that's actually a really good point, Jim. Is yeah, he's protected him because yeah, at I think that so. point he was just going to get hammered for another, right. like five runs, and then at that point, yeah, and and he's already dejected. I mean, he goes to the locker room, and the Yankees win the little exhi- exhibition game. But then Brewster decides, you know, I want to come out and talk to the people because everybody's been supporting them. Right. All all 6,000 people. Right. right, In the stadium for the Yankees game. Well, and people were watching it on TV and stuff like that. And uh, he goes up to the mic and he he says, you know, blah, blah, blah. Thanks, everybody. And he's like, hey, I only got $28,000 or $38,000. Right. You know, he's on his last day. And I quit the mayoral race. Right. Cause, cause they because had, it was going to be an asset. It was going to be an asset. The, this, the mayor, mayoral salary is going to be an asset. So he quits. And now we get back to another thing scrolling down the screen.
0: Right, right, right.
1: Out of politics, out, out of, of baseball, baseball. can Monty Brewster's Road of Excess lead you to the Palace of Wisdom? Chuck Fleming. action Action news and here's where we like transition to that moment that we've all been regretting or not regretting (laughs) the moment
0: we've all kind of known is coming
1: right and it's just like uh you know if this is when if i was actually watching this movie near the theater and i couldn't pause it i'd be like oh i gotta go to the bathroom right right right. yeah because this is when monty like expresses his love to drake the paralegal Mm -hmm. and we've seen this since the minute she walked on the screen well, and he doesn't even tell her to her face. There's a moment where
0: they kind of have yeah. this little fight, yeah. and she walks through the door. And he says, "I love you." We've had some bad baked-in romances in this podcast that we've done. That's the worst. It's, yeah, it was it's bad. simply the worst.
1: It, it was awful. It was awful. And and so he decides I'm going to spend his last my last thirty eight thousand dollars having this party. You know, he wants to get rid of all his money because the next day when he wakes up is the day that by midnight. He has to spend all his money. So he has this big party. Of course, nobody comes up because by now, they know he's out of money. So mm-hmm. people aren't just hanging around him all the time like they were well, earlier. Well, he, he taps out of the party. He's got a party
0: at the hotel or whatever. And he taps out. He takes a bottle of champagne. He says, well, before that, get-
1: though, before that though, and I think this was endearing. All the get people, oh, the yeah. security people, John Candy... Even while well, they had to cut, they of get, shake, they, down, they, they the shake down the photographer. Photographer, you know, put him, put a money, money together, in the hat. Yeah. money in the hat to give to him. He's like, no, don't give me any money, don't give me any money. And that's when he gets his. And he bottle says, of "I'm going to take his bottle of champagne." Yeah, and get tore out. up. And the next thing we see is
0: he sprawled out across his bed, face down, like
1: three thirty in the afternoon.
0: Right. And listen, I've gotten hammered a few times. I've never awakened in my clothes, face down on the bed, spread eagle. But whatever. Um, and he wakes up to the sound of people coming in and taking away all of the clothes that yeah. he's rented because he's rented all these clothes. So he's, yeah, his suits are getting repoed. That's, yeah. that's, that's a, that's a yeah, lot of money. Yeah, and then
1: he money. goes to the office, his office. Well, and of course then the, um, the hotel manager comes up and is like, you have to go now. Yeah. And then he goes to his office that they just redecorated, Warren Cox's. Right, right. And his, and his wife was there at the time or his ex-wife was there. It was kind of funny because he's like, or she asked him, what do you think? he's like, oh, this is a room I could die in. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, finally. And she's so relieved. And then all of a sudden she's like, all right, come get it. And all right, boys, take up. it away. And why are they all wearing UPS uniforms? I don't know. I don't know. All, all these people that come and move, move furniture are all wearing like khaki tops and khaki bottoms. I don't know. I, I, I didn't get that at all. You know,
0: I thought the whole room redecoration was a point of comedy that could have been accentuated and made this movie a little bit funnier, a little bit more absurd. Like if he had gone in like four times, and like you know, she does a jungle room. Oh, I don't like this. And then the next thing he comes in, and, and there's a different, totally different motif. I think that could have been an added layer of comedy had they had they gone down that road.
1: Well, I would agree, Jim, but obviously you know nothing about interior decorating because you can't turn it around that fast.
0: Oh, I guess that's true. <laughs> you that's
1: can't true. turn it around that fast. <laughs> it's just not possible. Brewster's given up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he hasn't given up yet. Actually, I've, I got to no, ask he, he, thinks, he, thinks he thinks he's good. Good. He it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, a little spoiler there. Right He's heading to the lawyer's office right before midnight. He's in the elevator, and here comes Warren Cox. It's five minutes to midnight, and he hands Monty Brewster twenty thousand dollars. And he's like, "Hey, remember? The blah 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 blah. Here's your
0: security deposit on all the furniture." Yeah,
1: and then that's when Brewster gives up because he's like, he mm. ah!
0: he does a Richard Pryor freak out and yeah. kind of goes nuts.
1: I mean he spent 30 million dollars in 29 days in essentially 11 and a half hours 11 and a half right? hours yeah. and now he can't spend $20,000 in like 10 minutes right yeah it, it was kind of weird how that kind of how sharp that 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 contrast was so he actually goes into the boardroom and the only three people in the boardroom were honky honky <laughs> yes and the executive and and so he's getting ready to sign that paperwork and Drake who's working late mm-hmm. comes out and sees Cox looking through the window into the boardroom and Cox is sitting there like a little kid and he's on her seat and watching. And so she comes up to him and it's like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you here? And, and, he, and Warren looks at and he's about to sign it all away. Brewster's about to sign it all away. And he tells her the truth, and he's so arrogant about it. Yeah, he's like, I can
0: finally tell you now. I Mm. can
1: finally tell you. And he also tells her that he, like, manipulated the situation that Uh screwed Brewster over at the last minute. Right. And, of course, she storms into the conference room. Don't sign. Don't sign. Don't sign. Warren says something, right? He runs into, and he says something to Brewster that makes Brewster mad. Brewster punches him. Right. Warren's like, I'm going to sue you. And Brewster's uh, still panicking. What do I do? And then, you know, I'm going to hire you. To, he points to I'm going to need a lawyer. I'm, I'm going to hire a lawyer. you. And she's like, I'm not a lawyer. I'm a paralegal. And he's like, it doesn't matter. I need a, And they have, like, by now, the clock is, the the grandfather clock in the right. boardroom has hit the first date. Yeah. So you know you got 11 left. And so they're rushing. And she's like, I'll take it. I'll take it. And the executor's just kind of sitting there watching mm-hmm. it. And the honky guys are, like, freaking out. And she gets the receipt signed and hands it to the executor of the estate, like, right, right, as, is, it, on the right, right as the 12th bell hits. And, I mean, it's, it's almost kind of like a miracle on 34th Street. Right. Or 32nd Street, the whatever Or yeah, yeah. Yeah, whatever. But then they're celebrating. The executor looks at the lawyers and is like, I feel that there's been some corruption here. He again.
0: says, I sense conspiracy to the fraud here.
1: Yeah. And then Richard Pryor says one more thing and the movie's over. That's it. That's yeah, it. yeah. He says we can
0: prosecute if you want to. But so prior Bruce is celebrating. He's he's got getting the money and the executor declares him the winner. And then the executor says, "I since conspiracy to defraud, if you want to prosecute." And then he's like, "Yep, send them away. Send them the showers. They're gonna they're gonna need a big towel because they're gonna be in there about twenty years. It'll take them a long time to dry off." And then
1: cut ends. the credits. The movie ends. and for a movie that I had been wanting to end for a while. Yeah. Now I'm really upset because I don't want it to end. And do you know why? Why is that? He doesn't get to tell Spike the truth.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a great point.
1: I mean, come on. Give me like the five minutes because Spike was his best friend from the beginning of the movie. And was upset with him with all the investments but still stuck with him. I just wanted some resolution between Monty and Spike.
0: That's a great point. That would have been a great moment of humanity between those two guys. And um, it, it would it would have humanized the film a little bit more. That's a great point. I, that is um, an unresolved thing that wouldn't have been real hard to figure out a way to work that in.
1: No, it wouldn't have been. And it wouldn't have been expensive. And, and it, would have, it would have changed the trajectory of this movie,
0: I think. I think that's right. I think if you put that in and you play on that relationship at the end... I think it makes the movie a lot better.
1: Yeah, yeah. So so how would you end it with him and Spike? I mean, would they, like, you know, go down the Hudson on, like, a boat cruise or... I don't think a cruise down the Hudson. Um, <laughs> no, I got a better one than that. That was just a joke. No,
0: like, I mean, I think he, he tells him, and then and then you close it out with him just playing playing catch or something. You,
1: yeah, you get him there. You get him to plonk, uh where, at the end of the movie... It's like you know, one more pitch. Maybe they get back into the Hackensack Stadium somehow. Maybe they get into Yankee Stadium, right. where it's just like one more pitch. You know, hey, I got three hundred million dollars right now. I would just want to throw you. A, go, I want to throw you a strike in Yankee Stadium, and I can afford to do it.
0: Right, something like that. You know, it and, would have been a trope. We would have yeah. made fun of it, but it would have been. It would have been heartwarming.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, and they walk off hugging each other into the dugout or something. I don't know. There's a lot of different ways you could go with that ending. I just I felt the ending just died. It yeah, fell off I agree cliff. with that. Fell I totally cliff. Agree with that. So Brewster's Millions. I mean, wow. I, I really did not expect us to be able to like talk about this. I didn't think for so this would long. go an hour, but we're yeah. we
0: I over. But um, yeah. So what grade do you give it? Oh, C. It's definitely in the C. C is exactly right. <laughs> C is the, the number. C's. It's that, or the letter. Yeah, <laughs> definitely
1: C is it. the C's. When do you want to watch it again? Not for a while. I don't know if I ever need to see not it here Not for a while. I don't really know if I ever need it's to see this movie while. again. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I I would rather watch other John Candy movies, yeah. if I'm going to watch Jane, John Candy, and I'd rather watch Richard Pryor with Gene Wilder.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I
1: don't really need to ever see this movie again. Yeah, if I hadn't watched
0: it so many times as my youth, I would feel 100% the same way. I probably won't ever watch it again. Maybe someday down the road I'm sitting around flipping around to catch it on cable or something. You're not gonna catch to... it on cable. It's a great point. That's that's why we're here. <laughs> You're not,
1: yeah. You're not gonna catch this one on cable. If you wanna see it, there's things about it that are good, but it's I don't know. I I rented it for four ninety nine. I will I never I had to rent it twice because I rented it on Amazon and uh-huh. I let my three days run. Oh, up so I was like, finish it. I had to double down. I had to double down. So yeah. Yeah. I will
0: never pay money to watch it again. How's that?
1: Yes. No. I think that's. I think that's a good differentiation. I, I won't either. I won't either. And if somebody said, "Hey, do you want to come over and watch this?" I'd be like, "I'm busy tonight. I got stuff. <laughs> I got stuff. <laughs> I got stuff going on." But if you're just there and it's on, I might watch it for 20 minutes. Probably b- more at that point in my life, just to relate back to the memory of making the podcast about right, it. Right now, to the memory, yeah. Because then it'll be a third generation. Is this yeah, movie still good? Right. That's right. That's so right. maybe in my sixties, I see this movie again by accident, mm-hmm. and it's like, is this movie still good? Season forty-five, and I'm like, oh, now it is. <laughs> this <movie's okay."> <laughs> <laughs> I but I doubt that's going to happen.
0: I doubt it too. <laughs> yeah. I doubt it too. So
1: I'm not putting any. I'm not putting any gold on the table. Yeah, it, it's a C. It's
0: if you. It
1: might you, even be a D. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a C. It's a it's a
0: it's a C. Uh, it, it's we'll let it uh, get out of high school. Yeah, for sure. Right. For sure. We'll let
1: it graduate.
0: Yeah, if you have nostalgia for the '80s, it's worth watching. But otherwise, um, it, it's not worth seeking out. I think, like you said, there are better Richard Pryor movies, better John Candy movies. Before we wrap, though, I want to I want to get into something because I said we watched this with the kids, and um, both children that we watched it with saw Richard Pryor on the mound throwing. And said, is that Steve Harvey? <laughs> that's Steve Harvey, isn't it? That's not Steve Harvey. No, that's totally Steve Harvey. I'm like, well, that's Richard Pryor. Are you sure it's not
1: Steve Harvey? Well, and it's funny. I mean, because the the kids today have no idea. No idea these who guys Richard are. Is. Well, right. because there was a moment in the movie where I saw John Candy and I was like, oh, he would make a great President Trump right now in a movie. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah of course. Like, yeah, because, I mean, I haven't seen John Candy in a while. It's a real young John Candy with the, like, blonde reddish hair. Right. And so, I, yeah, I mean, there's some nostalgia there. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Anyway, I thought that was funny, and uh, I, I got a real kick out of that. But, uh, yeah, so, good movie. I mean, for what it was in its time, it's not worth seeking out in 2019.
1: So, this will be the first time that we ever give this answer, I think. Okay. Is this movie so good? <laughs> not really. I'm just going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> not really. <laughs> just, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yep, that's it. Uh, we knew it was coming. Yep. There would be a movie that we had to say no to.
0: Yeah. So, but still fun process to work through, and oh, we had sure. a great time doing this pod. Sure. This pod this was super great. fun tonight. Yeah, yeah, and, and hopefully, you know, we saved you guys some time. Hopefully, we entertained you all. We saved you three ninety nine or three ninety nine times two, whatever. Yeah,
1: and and hopefully, uh you know, the, and you come back and. You know, I, I don't know what we're doing next, but...
0: Yeah, we're going to have to go to post-production and discuss that, but we'll have uh, some more stuff coming soon. So And you'll enjoy it just as much. Absolutely. Well, thanks a lot for everybody that's been listening, and thanks for subscribing. We encourage you to continue to subscribe, download, rate, review. We're, we had our biggest download day ever when we dropped the last one, so much thanks. Keep it up. We're going to keep it up, and we will see you soon on Is That Movie Still Good? This
1: is a No Land in Sight podcast production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.